What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mayalari. So today I'm going to do a breakdown of Frozen Fanway. I'm going to talk about what happened in the Northeastern UConn game and also the Boston College UMass Amherst game. Give you a breakdown of each game, who won, who scored in each game, and who made some big plays. And then I'm going to move on to TCU versus Georgia, talk about the national championship, which is on Monday night. Give a breakdown and a recap of that game. Georgia ended up blowing out TCU in that game 65-7. to So as you can imagine already, it'll be a lot of Georgia talk during that segment. So I'm going to start off with Northeastern. They played UConn, beat the number nine team in the country, UConn 4-1 at Frozen Fenway. Northeastern in their previous seven games heading into this game at Fenway, they were 1-5-1. A win, five losses, and an overtime loss. So Northeastern's been struggling, as you can tell. So going into this game, I thought if they just start out hot and get a goal to start, that'll get momentum, they'll be back, locked in. That's all you really want. And Northeastern did just that. Ada McDonough scored right away for Northeastern in the first period. Liam Walsh as well. Northeastern was up 2 to nothing, and then they ended up giving up a goal to UConn Husky. Matthew Wood in the third period, so it became a 2-1 to game. Then Northeastern got two insurance goals from Justin Ritz-Covian and Jack Williams. Jack Williams is a freshman. Justin Ritz-Covian is a sophomore, one of the best players on the Northeastern squad. So it was a great way for Northeastern to get back on track as beating a team like UConn, number 9 in the country, has been consistent over the last year. UConn was really good last year. They were in the Hockey East Finals last year. They beat Northeastern in the Hockey East Semifinals in the tournament last year. And then this year, they're just as good and even better. So pretty interesting, obviously, seeing that the Hockey East is really competitive. I mean, there's so many good teams in the Hockey East. So beating any of them, that's a positive. And Northeastern beating a team like UConn, I mean, it gets them right back on track. And that's really what this team needs, considering how much they've struggled early on. Middle of the season, 1-5-1 in their last seven games. Northeastern needed a spark, and they got just that. Devin Levi snapped out of a funk, came up big for Northeastern in the net, returning to his form from last year. He allowed just one goal on 30 shots faced against UConn. So great way for him to get back on track as well. His first nine games of the season, Levi was just like he was last year. Last year, Levi gave 1.54 goals per game and had a 95.2 save percentage, a 9.52 save percentage. His first nine games of the season this year, right on track. 1.55 goals allowed per game compared to the 1.54 goals allowed per game last year and had a 9.48 save percentage compared to the 9.52 save percentage he had last year. So he's just right on pace. 1.55 goals against per game in the first nine games of the season, and a 9.48 save percentage, allowing 14 goals and 279 shots faced in the first nine games. So he was on pace with what he was doing last year, right? Then you look at the next 10 games after the first nine. Before the UConn game, the last 10 games before that, heading into that game at Fenway, he gave up 3.6 goals per game. And had 293 saves on 329 shots faced. And an 89.05 save percentage. Which, if you look at the 89.05 save percentage, not elite. Considering how good Devin Levi is, though, you would want him to be 93.94 because of how good he is. Devin Levi won the Richter Award last year, which is given to the best goalie in college hockey. Could have honestly been the Hobie Baker winner last year. I mean, I think he got snubbed there. Dryden McKay ended up winning that. But he could have been the Hobie winner last year. So I think if you look at it, Northeastern needs Devin Levi to be in the 93-94% save percentage. Considering how good they were last year, they relied on him heavily. They need him to be like he was playing in the first nine games of the season. That's what he did against UConn. One goal allowed on 30 shots faced. So last 10 games heading into that game against UConn, as I said, 3.6 goals allowed per game and had an 89-05 save percentage. Last year, in the entire 2021-2022 season, in 32 games, he allowed 48 goals. This season, in 20 games, 12 less games, he's already allowed three more goals. 51 goals allowed in 20 games this season. 
compared to last year, giving up just 48 in 32 games. He only allowed three or more goals in seven games of the 32 games he appeared in last year. Seven of 32 games he appeared in last year, he allowed three or more goals. This year, he's allowed three or more goals in 10 of 20 games. Half the season, he's already allowed three or more goals. He only did it seven times last year, allowed three or more goals. This year, he's already allowed three or more goals, 10 of 20 games he's appeared in. And he's allowed three or more in seven of the last eight games. It was seven straight until that UConn game where he ended up beating UConn, obviously having a great game, only giving up a goal. So Northeastern needs him to get back to the shutdown Devin Levi ways. They need that. And hopefully shutting down UConn starts a hot streak for Levi and the Huskies. Northeastern now returns to action to play UConn, actually, tomorrow night on the road this time. UConn is the home team and yet another Hockey East showdown between the two schools. Now I'm going to move on to BC versus UMass Amherst. That was a nightcap game. BC ended up beating UMass Amherst 4-2 in that game. BC has been steadily moving their way up the college hockey rankings and the pairwise rankings as well. BC right now is 18 in the pairwise rankings, which is very impressive considering they were really in the 30s for most of last season and the number 20 in the college hockey rankings. So they're officially ranked BC. First time this season they were ranked. Obviously, they've been on a hot streak. BC's been 5-1-1 in their last seven games. Look at Northeastern, the complete opposite. 1-5-1 in their last seven games heading into that game against UConn. BC now is 5-1-1 in their last seven games. So they're starting to get hot. And if you look at it, that game against UMass Amherst was a great way to continue the momentum. They split with Arizona State. They played Arizona State on December 30th and December 31st in Tempe, Arizona. They ended up splitting there, which Arizona State has a lot of offense. They have a lot of talent. Robert Master Simone transferred from BU to Arizona State. Dylan Jackson and Ty Jackson, the two twins that played at Northeast, and they're from Ontario, Canada. They transferred to Arizona State. Both of them are very good players. And then they also have TJ Semdenfelter in net, one of the best goalies in college hockey, who actually leads college hockey right now in goalie saves. So... Arizona State has some talent, so BC splitting with them wasn't the worst thing. And now they play a team like UMass Amherst, who's consistently been running the Hockey East for the most part for the last three or four years now, and BC ends up beating them 4-2. And a big reason for that was freshman Phenom, Kata Godier, he was back in the lineup for BC, played in the World Juniors, so he missed a couple games. He missed both those Arizona State games, and he's back in the lineup for BC. BC really needed him. And he started scoring right away for BC, right away. Got a goal two minutes into the first period. His 11th goal on the year. Four more than anyone on the BC Eagles team. So very impressive. He's only a freshman. He was a fifth overall pick to the Philadelphia Flyers. And you can see why. 11 goals and leads the team. BC got two more goals from graduate transfer Cam Burke. He transferred in from Notre Dame. Played at Notre Dame for four years and then had a fifth year transfer option. He ended up going to BC to finish his college eligibility. And he played very well in that game versus UMass. Two goals. And one thing for BC was that they were really lighting up shots on net. That was really the difference in the game. BC had 37 shots on goal to UMass Amherst 25. Mitch Benson was great in net for BC. 23 of 25 shots faced. He saved. He's been tremendous in net for BC on the year as a transfer from Colgate. Has a 90.5 save percentage on the year. Pretty good. Almost 91% shots faced. He saves. Not bad considering last year Eric Dopp really struggled in this part of the season. He got better towards the end. But the middle part of the season last year for Eric Dopp, who was a transfer goalie for BC from Bowling Green, he struggled heavily in the middle part of last season. This is when Benson, the transfer from Colgate, BC's goalie this year, is really finding his footing and has been playing great for BC. As I said, only gave two goals to UMass Amherst. BC ends up winning that game 4-2. to two. As I said, BC's 5-1-1 in their last seven games. So they're just starting to get hot at the right time. And they will face Sacred Heart on the road tomorrow. So now I'm going to move on to the national championship game between TCU and Georgia. TCU got blown out. Georgia didn't even let them keep it close. 
Georgia scored 65 points, I said, which was actually the record for the most points in a college national championship game. 65-7 win for Georgia. The closest TCU ever was was 10-7 after a Max Duggan two-yard rushing touchdown in the first quarter. After that, the story of the game was just Georgia scoring on offense. They just could not be stopped. Georgia scored 55 straight unanswered points after that Max Duggan touchdown run. TCU really couldn't get anything going on offense, couldn't stop Georgia on defense. Just every facet of the game, they were overpowered. And Georgia was just too quick, too fast, too strong for TCU to keep up with. The difference of the game, though, was Georgia on offense. I think Georgia's defense was elite. But Georgia's offense was just unstoppable. Unstoppable. 589 yards on offense. TCU had just 188. 401 yards more Georgia gained on offense than TCU. And a lot of that had to do with Georgia's just consistency in finding a guy wide open. Every single play, it seemed like there was a guy that had some room. And credit to Stetson Bennett. He threaded the needle a few times through some great passes. He had a great game. And I'll break down how he played in just a minute. But Georgia had 32 first downs. TCU had just nine. Nine first downs for TCU to 32 for Georgia. And Georgia's defense was great. Five sacks on Max Duggan. Max Duggan really didn't have much time to throw. So at the end of the day, I don't really blame him. Even though he didn't have the best game, he really didn't have much time to make anything happen. He only could find Quinton Johnston, his number one receiver, for one pass for three yards. One completion to Quinton Johnston, who's going to be a first-round pick in this year's draft in April, and only got three yards on that one pass. So, really couldn't find any connection with him. George had five sacks on defense. TCU had none. So, TCU really couldn't generate any pressure on Stetson Bennett. TCU punted five times in the game. Georgia punted just once. That's just the story of the game. TCU also turned the ball over three times. Two interceptions and a fumble. And then they also turned the ball over on downs two times as well. So five drives ended in either a turnover on downs, a fumble, or an interception. So not the best luck for TCU. And TCU's defense just could not stop Georgia's offense at all. The Bulldogs only had to punt the ball once, I said. So that's just the story of the game for TCU. TCU, as I said, turned the ball over three times. Georgia turned the ball over zero times. They were 6 of 6 in the red zone. And it was a complete opposite for TCU. As I said, they turned the ball over three times and also had two drives end on a turnover on downs as well. So five drives there. It either ended in a fumble, turnover on downs, or in a deception for TCU. And you look at Georgia, they turned the ball over zero times, punted the ball just once, and was six of six in the red zone. Max Duggan struggled for TCU a quarterback, 14 of 22 passing, 152 passing yards, two interceptions, and a 49.2 quarterback rating. Did have a rushing touchdown in the first quarter, as I said. There was a 10-7 game when he scored that, and that was the closest TCU ever was in the game. He couldn't connect with his number one wideout, as I said. Quinton Johnston, one catch was just three yards for Johnston. Johnston was locked up by Javon Bullard, who had two interceptions versus TCU for Georgia. A defensive back for Georgia that was pretty much locked down in the whole entire college football playoff was a defensive MVP in the Peach Bowl. And then also the defensive MVP in the national championship game versus TCU. Had two interceptions versus TCU in that game on Monday night. And was great in that Peach Bowl game as well versus Ohio State. As for Georgia, Stetson Bennett was unreal. 18 of 25 passing. 304 passing yards. Four touchdowns. Zero interceptions. And he also added three carries for 39 yards and two touchdowns in the game. He held a 226.94 passer rating. A 226.94 passer rating in that game on Monday night. Became the first quarterback to rush for two touchdowns or more on the ground in a championship game since Vince Young did it in 2006. 
Bennett had six touchdowns total, four passing, two rushing. His six touchdowns tied Joe Burrow's record of six touchdowns in the 2020 college football playoff finals versus Clemson. Stetson was unreal, though, in all four college playoff games between last year and this year. Over two years, four college football playoff games, 15 total touchdowns with 12 passing, threw one interception, and had a 67.8% completion percentage across four college football playoff games between last year and this year. He became the first player in Georgia history to account for 4,000 yards in a single season. And you look at his career overall, 29-3 record, two-time national champion, Two-time National Championship Game Offensive MVP, which is really impressive. Came up big in the biggest moments. Two-time Offensive MVP in the National Championship. One-time SEC Champion and a one-time Heisman Finalist. An illustrious career. And in this year's cultural playoff games, two games, was 41-59 passing for a 69.5% completion percentage. 702 passing yards with seven passing touchdowns to one pick. A 205.2 passer rating. 21 rushing yards for three rushing touchdowns in total in those two games. 10 total touchdowns for Stetson Bennett. And his story is a dream come true. A dream come true for a kid that grew up a Georgia fan, went to 90 Georgia games growing up. His parents both went to Georgia, so both of them being Georgia alums, they are so happy to see their son just even be on the team. But winning two national championships for the program is just unreal. Was nicknamed the mailman because he wore a U.S. Postal Service hat to stand out of football camps at high school. Was just a two-star recruit coming out of high school. Walked onto the team at Georgia. Then after being so long on the depth chart, he transferred to Jones County Community College. Won a championship for that school there as a JUCO quarterback. Then transferred back to Georgia. Earned a scholarship. Was a starter in 2020. But then lost his job to former five-star recruit JT Daniels. When Daniels got hurt, Bennett stepped in and never lost his job after that. Was a Heisman Trophy candidate after that. Uh, Peyton Manning award finalist. And also a two-time national champion after that as well. So the rest is history after he got the chance to play in 2020 over JT Daniels. And on Monday night, he was unstoppable with Ladd McConkey, wide receiver for Georgia, who was hurt in the Ohio State game, but was 100% on Monday night, had five catches for 88 yards and two touchdowns. And then Brock Bowers, one of Stetson Bennett's main receivers over the last couple of years now, he's a tight end for Georgia, had seven catches for 152 yards and a touchdown on Monday night. As for Georgia, the question now becomes, are they the new powerhouse of college football? Obviously, Alabama's been the powerhouse of college football now for the last decade and has had a great run, obviously winning three national championships in the last 10 years with six national championships since 2009. Nick Saban's won in 2009, 2011, 2012, 2015, 2017, and 2020 as the Alabama head coach. Six national championships since 2009, with three of those coming in the last 10 years in 2015, 2017, and in 2020. So, very impressive run for Alabama. But now the question becomes, is Georgia the new powerhouse? And if you look at it, Georgia became the first program to win back-to-back championships of the college football playoff era. The first team to win the national championship two straight years since Alabama did it in 2011 and 2012. So they're the first program, Georgia now, is the first program to win back-to-back championships in the college football playoff era, and the first program to win two national championships in a row since Alabama did it in 2011 and 2012. And Georgia's dominance isn't going to stop just now, I don't think. If you look at their schedule next year, and obviously they're going to be without some key players. Jalen Carter will be going to the draft being a top pick. Obviously lose a few other pieces like Stetson Bennett. But they do have a lot of talent coming back. And of Georgia's 12 opponents they play next year in the regular season, 
11 of 12 of them had five plus losses this past season. 11 of 12 of them. And this is a team that's the third FBS program ever to go 15 0 in a single season. And now next season, they're playing 11 teams who had five plus losses. And obviously, a lot can change within a season, one to the next. TCU only had five wins last year. They were five and seven last year. Get a first year head coach in Sonny Dykes. Max Duggan wasn't even the starting quarterback at the start of the season. Had to step in after starting quarterback, who was a freshman, ended up getting hurt in the first game of the season, and then Max Duggan never lost his job after that. But if you look at it, TCU only had five wins last year. They were 200-1 to underdogs to win the national championship. Almost became the longest long shot ever to win the national championship if they were to have won this year. Obviously, they end up getting blown out in that national championship game. But being 200-1, to and I think their win total is 6.5 or 7.5 for the season began, and you end up going to the national championship game, that's all you could ask for as a program. And you built the program in just one year. Just one year. Sonny Dykes, first-year head coach, did great. And now they've built a winning culture. It only took that one run just to build a winning culture. And now if you look at it, I mean, they have some incoming recruits already, including Alabama wide receiver JoJo Early. He hit the transfer portal about a month ago now and will be committing to TCU to play for Texas Christian next year. He's from Texas originally, was a high four-star recruit from Texas, and was a top 10 wide receiver in the country as well in recruiting. So obviously impressive that they get a transfer wide receiver in JoJo Early. Played two years at Alabama. Wasn't really too much involved in the offense. Had a couple touchdowns this past season, 12 receptions for 155 yards and two touchdowns as a sophomore. And then as a freshman last year in 10 games played, had 12 catches for 148 yards and no touchdowns. Did return some punts his freshman year for Alabama, 16 returns for 88 yards, five and a half yards of return. So obviously impressive that TCU can land a guy like him who was a top 100 recruit in the country and one of the best wide receivers in the class of 2021. Now will be going to play at TCU and continue his college career and hopefully get himself some more playing time next year, especially considering Quinton Johnston will be gone, TCU's best wide receiver from this past season. So now I want to transition back to talking about Georgia and how much of a powerhouse they are now in college football. But the SEC, just in general, is stacked. The SEC has won four straight national championships, Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. In this past Georgia team was the 13th SEC team to win the national title in the last 17 national championships. 13 of the last 17 national championships have come from teams in the SEC. So that just shows how much of a powerhouse the SEC is in general. And then obviously you have teams like Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Auburn are always consistently good. Obviously the first three of those being powerhouses the last two or three years now, especially considering Georgia and Alabama have been the best teams in college football now for the better last three to four or five years now. But Auburn has had some really good years in there in the mix. LSU as well. Just the SEC in general is stacked. Florida's had some good years as well. Considering how good the SEC is, I mean, it's only getting better now with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas. The SEC is just dominant in college football, dominant. And it's going to continue with the additions of Texas and Oklahoma as well in the coming future. So speaking about the SEC and a powerhouse of the SEC, Alabama, a big question mark at ESPN and in the mainstream media after Monday night and Tuesday morning was did Alabama deserve to be there? Should Alabama have been there instead of TCU? And my argument is that TCU beat Michigan, who was the number two team in the country. They put up 51 points in Michigan. TCU put up 51 points on one of the best defenses in the country in Michigan. So clearly TCU deserved to be there. TCU deserved to be in the national championship. Yes, obviously it was not the performance they wanted to have on Monday night, losing that game 65-7. to I don't think anybody wants to go into the national championship and lose 65-7. to But TCU deserved to be there. They earned their right to be in that game. 
No one would have kept up with Georgia the way they played on Monday night. Not one school in the country would have kept that a close game with Georgia on Monday night. No one would have stayed within one possession of Georgia on Monday night with how much they were clicking on offense and defense. And if you look at Alabama Russell lost two games. They lost to Tennessee and LSU in the regular season. I know those are two good teams this year. Tennessee was really a surprise team this year. They had a very good season. LSU was good as well. But TCU only had one loss. Yes, they played in the Big 12. Yes, they had one loss to Kansas State. But they did beat Michigan and deserve to be in the finals because they beat Michigan. And this is a Michigan team who blew at Ohio State in the Michigan-Ohio State game. And that's one of the biggest rivalries in all of sports. Michigan blew out Ohio State. And that same Ohio State team just gave Georgia a game in the college football playoff. And TCU being able to beat Michigan earns themselves the right to play Georgia in the national championship game and end up getting blown out. But Alabama did not deserve to be there, in my opinion. Obviously, Alabama's a very good program, very good school. Bryce Young, great quarterback. Obviously, a lot of talent on that Alabama team, so it's definitely going to get the ratings that everybody wants. But TCU deserved to be there. Whether or not they gave Georgia a competitive game, obviously they didn't. 65-7 to is a blowout. But they earned their right. One loss in the regular season, and they beat Michigan and put up 51 points on one of the best teams in the country in the first round of the college football playoff. In the college football playoff semifinals game, TCU proved that they deserved to be there in the finals. And as I said, and I repeat again, they did not look good on Monday night. But... Alabama did lose two games in the regular season. So the college football playoff committee went with the team that only lost one game and the same team that went on to beat Michigan in the first round of the college football playoff. So not the finish to the season that TCU wanted, but considering how far that program's come and they're building for the future, it's very impressive what Sonny Dykes did in his first year as a head coach at TCU. Anyways, that does conclude today's episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it and hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.